0: All right, thank you everybody for coming to Gospel Saving Church this morning. It's a beautiful morning here in Texas. We uh, thank the Lord for His grace and His goodness that He uh, gives to us every day. And for God His love, and in Him there is no darkness. So we're thankful for gathering together and being able to hear His Word today. We're thankful for revelation and God gives us grace, and the fact that He even allows people to get saved, the fact that God even wants to save anybody anyway—that's a that's an awesome miracle that happens. God even wants to save people. So anyway, um, today's message we're going to title it "Christ, All in All," and uh, let's open up with a word of prayer, so we can. Uh, start our service and we can start teaching so join me if you would bow your heads and let's pray Lord uh, thank you so much for bringing us here today and thank you so much for your love I ask you dear God to give me the ability to do this no matter what else is going on around me I ask you to give me the words to say to speak to help us have understanding and the deep things of the Spirit, Lord God, not just you know, the basics, Lord God we want to know, we want to go deeper with you, Lord I pray that everybody that's listening, or will ever listen Lord, will want the deep things of you, dear God, not just the candy and the, the M&M's and the Kit Kat bars Lord God, I pray that we want the deep things of you, Lord, that we want the the deep, deep meat and milk and just all that you have to tell us, Lord I pray that we go deeper and deeper and deeper in you every single day of our lives. Help us, as my brother prayed earlier, Lord, to have ears to hear you speak and eyes to see what, what you want to show us. Because Lord, I just, if, we did, if we just won't, if we just will hear and we won't really receive, then we have no. It's just it's pointless. Lord, help, help us to hear and do and help us to hear and receive what you have to tell us today. Touch our hearts, Lord God. Please touch our hearts and continue to help us get through this life, Lord God, as hard as it is, as we rely on you for everything, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We're going to go through four verses today. You guys want to open up your Bibles? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. My New King James Version has uh, Christ Fulfills the Law. So we're going to open up. We're going to start reading. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For so I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So this section of scripture is very sticky. It has to do with the law. It's very sticky indeed. And wherever the law is involved, we always have difficult stickiness. Uh... People always want to dispute the law, always. Uh, the law of God has been one of the most misunderstood things in the Bible, especially in the New Testament of the New Covenant since the Christian church started. Um, even Friday night we met a fellow uh, on the streets that uh, was debating with us about the law, about why you had to be baptized uh, as well as uh, Christ and his death and so on and so forth. And that we have to do the things To be saved, not because we're saved. And that's really the Christian faith. We do the things uh, because we're saved. We do the things for Christ because we're saved, not to be saved. And hence he's from a denomination that believes that you have to do things along with Christ in order to be saved. And we'll get to that at the very end of our sermon. But nevertheless, it's unfortunate the law, uh, people are very confused about it. Uh, just shortly after the Christian church started, people, early Christians, have been arguing about what part the law plays in mankind's salvation. The church had not been born for very long, right after Christ died, where some Gentiles got saved. It's a story out of the book of Acts where Peter was uh, hanging out in this roof and got some awesome vision from God. And while he was having this awesome vision from God, uh some men knocked on the door of the house that he was staying in. And they were like, hey, come with us. We want you to come with us to this house. And so Peter came. God had told him to go. And so Peter went to this Gentile's house. His name was Cornelius. He was a Gentile or just a non-Jewish person. And um, as he was there, he uh, started to talk about the gospel. Started to tell Cornelius and his house about the gospel and about the uh, about the, what it takes to get what, it, what Jesus did for them and what you know how does mankind get saved and everything. While he was talking, the Holy Spirit fell upon the house of Cornelius and the whole household of Cornelius got saved by Peter's preaching. And so, I think this is a great and joyous day. And some Gentiles, non-Jewish people, got saved. Praise the Lord! Right, awesome day. Right. So what happens? Peter's excited. He he baptizes them after they're saved, not to be saved, but he baptizes them after uh, Cornelius and them get saved because it says that the Holy Spirit fell on the house and that the Gentiles were filled. And Peter says, well, they've gotten saved, basically. What, what forbids us from having water? Let's baptize them. Let's rock and roll. Let's get going. And so he's all excited and everything, and he goes back to the church and you uh, know so on and so forth, and I'll read it to you. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into the uncircumcised and ate with them. Well, that's part of the law. In the Jewish law, and whether it was from God or whether it was the Jews, they just had their kind of like their traditional things. A Jew was not allowed to eat with a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. So this was the law. And so they looked right past people just got saved and added to the kingdom of God today. They looked to, you didn't keep the law. You you went in, you ate in with those Gentiles. How dare you? Well, that was only one place. The New Testament is littered all over the place about disputes and arguments about the law and about the commandments. Um, that the, today's scripture is big into controversy. It has split churches apart. It's caused terrible arguments. It destroys people's journey with God. And even, even today, as then, keeps souls in bondage to Satan because of legalism. Uh, today's scripture is one of the worst misunderstood in all the Bible. Uh, as many would argue about it and fight about it and dispute about it, I rejoice over the real meaning of what today's scripture means. And it gives me great comfort, what Jesus spoke on today, gives me great comfort. And I hope it will you as well too. We'll talk about that later. So my hope today is that we'll be able to accurately, I will be able to accurately articulate the subject matter so that we can all understand it. Is God has helped me understand it. So let's get started and let's dig in deep. Matthew 5, 17, let's go through it. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So background, what is the law and the prophets that Jesus is talking about not wanting to destroy? So one, he's talking about the Levitical law of God. And two, he's talking about all the prophets that God sent hundreds and thousands of years beforehand, before he came, Jesus came, to speak of the coming Messiah and to say, this is what some things are going to happen and that he's going to come. What is the Levitical law of God? It's a, it's a set of laws that God laid down to Moses, brought to Moses starting in Exodus 20. It goes all the way through the book of Leviticus. It's a whole big, huge set of laws. Um, They include the Ten Commandments and so on and so forth. There are different types of laws. There's laws of holiness. There's laws of food. God had certain specific types of food that he wanted the Jews to eat. And there's just plain old laws for society. You know, God said things like, you know, if you're walking down the street and walking down the thing and you see your, your, your... neighbor's ox wandering through a, a you know the fence is broken and he's out and he's in the middle of the, you know in the middle of some of the pasture go go get the ox and go bring him back to your you know your neighbor so you know your you know your neighbor needs that ox to live you know they're they're just fellow laws you know fellow people laws how to live a life how to live in society what do we have if we don't have laws we have anarchy even today if we didn't have laws in our society we'd have anarchy we need Laws. Laws are a good things. So God gave down, laid down all those laws. Again, he gave to Moses, and uh, they're in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. So in case you didn't know, there's right around 623 laws that God gave to Moses, you know, in Exodus and Leviticus. 623. So keep that in mind as we keep going on. Just keep that in mind. That's a lot of laws. So, so what are the prophets? So the prophets were guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Nahum and Habakkuk and so on and so forth. And what did they do? They gave all the things about the Messiah. For instance, like in Isaiah, we have the birth of the virgin birth. We have the, who Christ was going to be, that he was going to be you know, basically God's kid and and so on and so forth, but he was going to be God at the same time, and and we have his uh, the coming of John the Baptist, which talked about the forerunner of Jesus. We've already talked about that in our sermons here. Uh, you have all kinds of prophecies, hundreds, I believe, of prophecies about end times. You know, anywhere from end times to to uh, Christ coming to the end of the world to you know what lineage Jesus was going to be born of, and and so on and so forth. So. Those are the prophets, because Christ said, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I came to fulfill or to be a fulfillment of the law and a fulfillment of the prophets. So back to verse 17, it has two main points that I want to look at today. First point in verse 17, Jesus did not come to destroy them. That would mean he didn't come to abolish them or to take them out of the way. He didn't come, they're, they're, they're affixed. They are to be uh, the law. Why didn't he want to destroy the law? He didn't come to destroy the law because the law has a purpose. Okay. Look with me to Galatians 3, 24 and 25. If you're turning in your Bible, this is the main purpose of the law. Galatians 3, 24 and and 25 I'll give you a moment to get there so Galatians 3 24 therefore because it speaks about the law Paul writing therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith but after faith has come we are no longer under the law but Christ said i didn't come to fulfill i didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill the law so here's the law we have the law of god and jesus says i am the fulfillment of the law then we're not under a tutor the law was meant to bring us to christ that's the main part of the law To bring us to Christ. Um, The law is so important to God. Jesus caps how important the law is in verse 18 here in our scripture. He says, For assuredly I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So that's how important the law is to God. That although it has that one main purpose to be a tutor... To show us that we can't keep the law, to bring us to Christ, that not one jot or tittle, that's how the Hebrew language was written in the law. The Hebrew language was written with letters and in, in like these type of kind of picturesque language and it had little jots and little tills. Not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away until all things were fulfilled. That means... This earth and all the things in it and all creation, the Bible says, one day are going to be destroyed, going to be wiped out, going to be abolished, going to be canceled. God's going to destroy them and bring a new heavens and a new earth. And until the new heavens and new earth are here, this law of God is not going anywhere. It's going to stay right there. And, of course, he didn't want to – another part to that part of the verse 17 uh, – He didn't want to destroy the prophets. Why? The prophets are those that would, if anybody's seeking God for real and to see if God's really real and Christ is really real, where are they going to go? They're going to go for proof of Christ. They're going to go to the prophets who spoke the prophecies hundreds and thousands of years before he came. And he doesn't want to destroy those because those speak of him as the one to come. So he's not going to destroy that. So the second main point to Matthew 5.17, as we move on, is where we're going to spend 95% of our study today. It's actually where God gave me the title for our sermon today. And so here it is. I did not come to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So what is he saying to us here? This is the part, as I said earlier in our introduction, this is the part that gives me great comfort. So I want to explain this point. I did not come to destroy, but come to fulfill with a little picture that I want you to put in your mind. Now, you may have seen the shirt. It was a. It's a shirt that I've seen recently. And it really emulates and embodies this verse. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. It's a Christian shirt, actually. And it says, and I quote, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Or Jesus plus nothing nothing. That means what this writer of this maker of the shirt is saying here is Jesus and Jesus only is all we need. It's all we need He's all we need for salvation. Nothing else is included. nothing else can be added. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It really? really embodies this verse that we're that this the section of scripture that we're talking about and most likely the maker of this Christian shirt this is where he got his title for his shirt Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So let's look at some verses to support what that shirt says and also what Christ is teaching here. We have John 8 36 John 836. so if you want to go there, And it reads therefore if the son of man makes you free you shall be free indeed now what did Jesus say there if the son of man speaking of himself makes you free you will be free indeed did he say if the law makes you free you'll be free indeed no he said if I make you free, you'll be free indeed. Go to Matthew 11:28 through 30. Matthew 11:28 through 30. A lot of moving around, but I want you to see the importance of what we're saying here. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is he saying? Again, did he say, come to me? Or did he say, Come to the law. No, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Again, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So the law is our tutor. Keep that in mind. So why did Christ have to fulfill the law of God? And the prophets, of course. One main reason, and in this one main reason why he had to do this, is where I said earlier, the church of God, almost from the very beginning birth, has had tremendous strife. One short line, and we'll look at some support for that. The law could never make anyone righteous before God or save anyone from their sins because it was and still is incomplete in itself. Christ said I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So the law in and of itself, it only needed to be fulfilled because it was incomplete. Hebrews 10:1 1 says 1 through 4 Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have to for then would they have to cease to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have have had no more consciousness of sin but if those sacrifices but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away the sins you could say of man so why was the law incomplete? Was in the law, some of the law that God spoke was that people for their sins had to sacrifice the bulls and goats and rams and so on and so forth in order for our sins to be covered. But they could never notice it said at the very end there, take away our sins, it could only cover them. So the law was incomplete in that it could not take away our sins. It could not cleanse us from our sins. So the law of God has never been and will never ever bring righteousness to people. Not then and not now. The law will never bring righteousness to mankind. It has always been through faith in God unto choosing to live a lifestyle of worship to God out of love, not out of work to attain. We see this idea in a man named Abraham in the Old Testament. And if you want, sorry, I'm bouncing you all around. Go to Genesis 15, 1 through 6. In this very idea that the law didn't bring righteousness to mankind, we see this idea in this man named Abram or Abraham before he was really a man of God. His name was Abram. Genesis 15:1 through 6. The Bible reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Basically, it was his slave boy was his heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to me saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And verse 6 is where we have our main content for today's verse. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So now we go to a New Testament counterpart. In Romans one through four, where Paul actually goes into a little bit in depth and talks about that faith that Abraham had in God, and that how that faith that Abraham had in God brought righteousness to Abraham, and we'll look at what's important about Abraham and why the law in him they equate. Romans four one through four. What then shall we say that Abraham, our our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And this scripture I'm talking about is Genesis 15.1. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So the big, huge deal about Abraham and the law, it's the big deal. Don't go there. But back to Galatians, I'm just going to tell you. Verses 16 and 17 of Galatians tell us that the law came 430 years after Abraham got his calling from God. So Abraham was made righteous by his faith in God. 430 years before God ever gave Moses the law. So if through the law came righteousness to mankind, how come Abraham was found righteous in God's sight apart from the law, which is what Romans 4, 1 through 4 was saying. Again, No one can be made righteous in God's eyes by keeping any of the law or keeping any of the commandments. Keep in mind this as we read James 2.10. The half-brother of Jesus writes in James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole of the law and yet stumble in one point He is guilty of all. Remember what I said about the law being 623? And James is saying here, if you keep the whole of the law, 622, but break one, you just broke them all. So what does that mean? Let's say you love your neighbor and let's say you bring his ox back and you keep the law of the land and you you do all the sacrifices and blood and goats, but you just so happen to see that awesome looking pen in your friend's hand and you go, oh, I would really like that pen. Oh! You just coveted. You just broke one. You might as well have murdered somebody because if you break one, you broke them all. God says... Any one sin separates you from me. Not all. You don't have to break thought, all 623. Just keep 622, but break one. Did I also mention, if you want to try to be righteous by the commandments and by the law, and and, and that be your salvation because you could keep the law, did I mention that you can't break any of the 623 laws from the day of birth, to the day of your death. All of them. So, I want to see, and you, whoever's listening online or podcast or whatever, I want to see a show of hands of anybody that from the day of their birth, till now at least, has ever not sinned one time. But before you do, before you raise your hand, keep this in mind. John, First John one ten. The Apostle John writes in an epistle, not his gospel. First John one ten. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and His word is not in us. So now, anybody out there that's not sinned one time in all the time you've been alive? Because remember, even if you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. and you, you're making God a liar and so <laughs> we make God a liar and your word's not and God's word's not in you. So I don't see nobody. It's pretty amazing. I don't even I don't think I even hear anybody raising their hand in the background. Cause that's that's where we're at. I can't even hardly go one day without sinning once at least once. And I'm trying. Oh, I love God, and I want to live for Him with all my heart. But I still find, oh, I blew it that one time. Oh, I uh, got angry at my kids or something. I had an outburst of wrath. Oh, I broke. God says, don't outburst of wrath. Oh, I did it. I just broke one today. And I'm trying. Wow. From day of death or from day of birth to day of death. Keep them all. And not break one, ever. Whew. Wrap your mind around that. That's what it would take for God to see you as righteous. To where you in and of yourself could save yourself. Day of birth to day of death. Not one, breaking one law or one commandment out of 623. So let's look at what God thinks of sin. God's attitude to sin is that he hates it. That's right. He hates it. If you don't believe me, stay right where you're at, at least in my Bible, Matthew 5, 29 and 30. It should just be just down from where we are, reading in 17 through 20, where Jesus gives a little bit about uh, how God looks at sin. And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin pluck it out, cast it from you. For it's more profitable that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. So how about that for how much God hates sin? If you're sinning, God says, cut out whatever it is that's causing you to sin and stop. And to be righteous, remember, 623 from the day of birth to the day of death. Wow. So I hope we all see, because I do, and this study really helped me to see, that we in and of ourselves in our own works and the keeping of the law and trying to be righteous and trying to be good have no hope of ever attaining heaven. We have no hope of ever being found righteous in God's eyes by our own works, our own deeds, our own things that we do. Amen. So we are doomed. We're doomed. And I hope we all see that. There's nothing good you can do. No good work. No keeping of the law. No righteous deeds. Nothing where God will look at you and say, All right, that one's righteous. Nope. You broke one. You broke them all. But we have one shot. Just one shot to make it. Ironically, that's because we have our title today. Christ Jesus and only Christ Jesus. For he is all in all. He is everything. He is the fulfillment. Of course, our focus Of today's message today. And the New Testament, I'll spare you going, but the New Testament says, and we know this by Christ's life and all the Bible says, that he did what the law could not do. See, Christ Jesus did go from the day of birth to the day of death, crucifixion, without sinning one time. Say that again. He did go... From day of birth to day of death, the crucifixion without sinning once. He fulfilled the law in that when he is when he died on that cross for our sins, and they nailed him to the cross. He was being nailed to the cross for transgression for sin, but he did not commit it. So the Bible says that he substituted his perfect life. His sinless life on the cross, because the word says, the Bible says the curse be anybody on a tree that hangs on a tree. So Christ took the curse of sin, which is death, although he had not committed one sin ever. And when he died, for something he didn't do, that did something supernaturally amazing, he was able then to fulfill the law by becoming the righteousness of all mankind, so that anyone that would put themselves under what he did wouldn't have to suffer for their own sins. We would be set free by what he did for our sins. Because if we stood before God Because of our righteousness. And I'm not a holy guy. I blow it a lot. But even just think, just one sin a day. And let's say you live 50 years. Being 365 days a year, what's 365 times 50? That's a lot of sins, boy. That's a lot of sins. I ain't even going to do the math. That's a lot of sins. That's how God would see you. And I say, well, that's just one a day. Oh, still. So this is where, ironically, verse 20 comes into play in our scripture today. Jesus says at the very end of the closing of this little section, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying? We don't have righteousness But we can have righteousness if what? We put ourselves underneath of his sacrifice and his righteousness and his perfection because of his death on the cross for our sins. So what can we do? What can every sinner do in the face of the planet? Because we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can do one thing and one thing only. We can rest in Christ's finished work on the cross for our salvation. Not in anything we could do in ourselves or any good work we could do or keeping of the law. So we absolutely have no choice if you want to be found righteous before God and if you want to be saved, you have to rest there. The end. Amen? Christ said on the cross, when the crucifixion was right before he was about to die, right before he was about to give up his breath, he said, "It is finished. It is finished. rest there, sinners. Rest there. But now we can't stop there, though. That's the thing. Bible says we can't stop there." Because we'd have to throw out verse 19, of which I'm going to read right now. Whoever therefore, back to our text, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we know the commandments play a part in our lives. But what part does the law and the commandments play in the part of a sinner. I'm glad you asked. So, the law and the commandments don't make us righteous in any way. But we can't throw them away. They hold a place. What place do they hold in a person's life that has surrendered to Christ and put their trust in his finished work on the cross? The answer is, we should honor and obey the commandments of Christ and God, and even teach them as the way we should live. They are a guide, you'd say, to holy living. They're a good way to live. Remember, we got to have laws. Well, there's spiritual laws. Christ gave lots of commandments. God gave lots of commandments. We should work at living for them. Jesus said that last half of 19, but whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we know that it's good for us to keep and obey the commandments and the teachings of Christ and God. So you say, but what's the catch? I don't understand. They don't make us righteous in any way, but we should honor and keep them as our ways of life. What? I don't understand. Huh? They don't make us righteous, but they still have a place in our lives with God. Let's look. Here's the catch. We keep them and honor them and obey them, not to be righteous, to be saved, as some good work that we could do, but because we love God. That's why we should honor and obey and keep His Word. Because. Of what he did for us, because we love him, not because we can attain some salvation or some righteousness unto God for what he did or by keeping them. Again, not as works to be saved or, or or works. You know, look at how righteous I am because oh, oh so now that I've done these things, I've earned my salvation. I've earned my righteousness before God. But because we want to honor Christ for what he did for us with simply thankful attitudes. Just that simple. Not to be saved, we keep them, because we love him. is why we desire to keep his laws and his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So even Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So he didn't say, you keep my commandments to love me. He said, if you love me, the love came first. We love God first, then we keep the commandments as an outward show of, hey, I'm just thankful for what you did for me. That's why I want to live for you. Not to be righteous not so we can stand before god and say all right look at how righteous and holy i am god you i deserve to be here in heaven absolutely not one last bit here before we close we must address the whole sin subject before we close out the message because i don't want anyone to be confused about where we stand in this aspect of our message today so what do we do about that pesky sin that we commit? We are to look how much God hates that pesky sin. Just think 50 years old, one sin a day, 365 days a year. Woo, that's a lot. That's thousands or not tens of thousands of sins. That's just in 50 years. That's just one a day. So do we just say, well, uh, since there's nothing we can do to be saved, and that's yeah, all about Christ, it, you know, it's all about what he did for us, uh, we can live any way we want. Is that the attitude we should have? I mean, after all, keeping the commandments, they don't make me righteous for God. <laughs> I can sin it up, man. I can do whatever I want. Just hey, it's all about Jesus. Jesus' fulfillment, man. Eh? It's all in all right there. Well, God is looking for the heart condition in this one. You have to have a heart condition here. And let me explain. We are going to sin, unfortunately. We are going to commit sin. And there's no way around that. This flesh is full of sin. This flesh is naturally attracted to sin. But what are our hearts, what are our attitudes of our hearts toward the sin that we commit? If we sin, do we just brush it off and say, well, because God God loves me, I'll just be okay and forgive me and keep on living that way? Or do we choose to live a repentant attitude's a repentant attitude towards it because we know that God hates it. And do we actively make a conscious decision to turn away from it and turn to God asking for forgiveness and work hard to keep the ways and the laws and the commandments of God because, of course, you got to always remember, because we love him, not to be found righteous because of what we do. God's looking for the heart condition here. The live in sin because God loves me attitude is a very dangerous conclusion that many Americans are falling into today. And the Bible even had those problems back then because we can look back to Romans 6.1 where Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So what did Paul say? Oh, yes, they knew that Christ died. They knew that he did everything for them back then. But obviously, back even to the first century, they had people to say, Oh, well, because Jesus did it all, I can just live any way I want because we got Romans 6.1. We also have Hebrews 10.26-29 where the writer of Hebrews says, If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has received Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose that he be that that will okay, excuse me. Do you suppose will he be thought worthy, the person that's doing it, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. So what does that say to us? You can't say, oh, Jesus, oh, I love you. All right. And you know what? You can say, oh, Jesus, I love you. And you can live for him. 89 years of your life, and on the last day before you die, you can say, ah, well, you know what? I've lived 89 years of my life. I can live, you know what? I'm going to take the last day and partay. What did Hebrews 10, 26 say? What did it say? Anyone who has come to the knowledge of truth, if they turn and sin willfully, which means turn to treasure sin in your heart, ah, it's all right, God, just forgive me. I've lived 89 years of my life for him. And guess what? God says, you're walking away from me because you're choosing to live in that willful sin again just like you did before I saved you. And how much worse will the punishment be thought, in the very last verse, for him who has taken the blood of Christ and counted it as a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. So let's not be deceived by that one from Satan. But look what we do have. Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is where the weary sinner can find rest. Surrender and be saved by putting our trust in him alone and only him alone for our salvation. Him and him alone. So the Lord has given me three formulas, two of which are ones to help us stay away from unbiblical lies of Satan that have come along, and they go like this. God doesn't say, keep the law to be righteous, and then you will be saved. That would be works equals salvation. That's ungodly, because we already looked here. Can you keep all 623 from the day of birth to the day of death without sinning one time? That doesn't work. Number two, God doesn't say, come to my son, but you must keep the law and the commandments to earn your righteousness and salvation from God. Because we already know, even if we break one, we broke them all. So it's, remember, Christ is the fulfillment. So that one is uh, faith plus works. Equals salvation, which is like I said, the fellow we met on Friday night. It's my faith in God, but I must be baptized. Because if I'm not baptized along with my belief, God says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, sir. You you, you just, It's it, you're done. But this is the godly one. This is the biblical one that we study today. God does say, come to my son and put your complete faith and trust in him. And what he did for you on the cross to pay for your sins... Then because of that, live a repentant life towards your sinful ways and your sinful flesh because of what Christ did, did for you, not because you are in any way trying to earn your salvation. Then what naturally happens, and this is all biblical, all speak it here, back it up with the verse. Then what will happen as a result of that decision you make from your heart and soul is you will be changed. John 7. 37-39. On the last day, the day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. This formula is, this is the biblical formula, God's grace plus our faith in what he did, and our faith alone equals good works, equals our desire to be doing righteous things, equals our desire to say, I love you, Jesus, I want to obey you, I want to obey your teachings, I want to be safe, I want I want your salvation, so Lord, I, I love you, so therefore, because I love you, boom, all these good things are going to come out of your life. Because at that point, when you say, I put my total trust in Christ and Christ alone, and I turn away from whatever I'm doing or whatever false belief I have or whatever sin I'm living in, and I turn to you and I put my faith in you, God says, boom, you're saved. You you get born again. The Holy Spirit comes in your life. And then you have the ability even to live a sanctified life or you have the desire to live for Christ. So where are you Today? Most of the world is in one of three of these categories. 99% of all the world, of all religions, supposed religions, teach that works can make you righteous before God. Christianity says look at what Christ did for you and simply receive his gift of salvation and Turn and trust in Jesus and Jesus only to save you. Then follow his teachings because you love him, not so that you can earn your salvation by following him or keeping, or the keeping of God's commandments. Because that's an easy one to follow into, too. Look at how much I follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be saved because I, I follow Jesus. Because that's certainly because I do righteous things and I follow Jesus, I, I'm going to be saved. Well, the Bible says that those are works and those are commandments and that even that, even following Jesus won't save you because in Matthew chapter 7, many will come to me, Jesus says in that day, and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, I never knew you. And they said, but Lord, we did this and we did that. We, we did. We did these things, Lord. We, we did this and we did that. We kept this commandment and, and we did this and we cast out demons in your name. We did these things and Jesus... Says to them in Matthew chapter 7, be gone from me, for I never knew you who practice lawlessness. Their lives never matched up. They never loved God first and wanted to do the things of God because of their love. So what happened? They willfully did that, Hebrews 10, 26-29. They willfully did that other one out of Romans. I believe it was 6:1. They willfully lived in sin. After they said, oh man, the grace of God, they willfully lived in a sinful way. They never really turned their ways because God loved them and then they wanted to just honor God because he loved them. So where are we today? If you're there, know you can rest and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone to save you daily. Daily you can just lay down and meditate and think, Jesus, I love you. Oh, I just want to live for you because I love you and because you love me. And we gotta keep going and walking in that. Many people have fallen away from the faith. Going back toward works as a way that they could be righteous before God. It's a real easy trap to fall into if you're there with God, if you're saved in the morning. And if you're not there, you can work your whole life trying to be righteous. You can work your whole life and try to be a good person. But just think, from the day of birth to the day of death, God gave Moses 623 laws that you must keep. And if you've broken one, one day, just one day, just the day before you die, maybe you've kept them 49 years and 364 days, and on the day you die, you break one law, and you never accepted Christ, you never put your faith in Christ and his sacrifice to save you, you'll stand before God and he'll say, you're not righteous enough to get to heaven. You're not good enough. So if that's you and you're listening, and that's you, and you broke even one thing, sinned one time, stolen one thing, coveted one thing ever, looked at woman to lust after her, used God's name in vain one time, God says you're not righteous enough for my kingdom because you sinned, you broke the law. Turn to my son, Trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation and have a repentant attitude toward your sins and live the commandments and do the commandments and live the ways of God because you love God, because he's, he's, He can save you, not to be loved by God, to be saved. Turn now from whatever false way that you live Because you can't make it on your own righteousness. It won't happen. It won't work. Christ is the fulfillment. And I just want to close out with reading that verse one last time. Matthew 17. Because this can give rest to the weary sinner. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy. But to fulfill. Christ is all in all. He's everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this word today. Thank you so much for this understanding. Thank you so much, Lord God, that I I don't have to, to work. at. If I blow it one time, I don't like that I sin, Lord God, but thank you so much that you are the fulfillment of the law and that that one sin doesn't keep me out of heaven, Lord. Because I've turned to you, Lord, and everybody that's listening that's ever turned to you for real, we've turned to you and we put our trust in you and you and you alone. And we've turned to you away from whatever we are, wherever we are, whether we're working our way into self, into, into heaven right now or we think we're working our way into heaven or, or whether we're uh, flat out, whatever, Lord, living in sin, fornication and cursing and living in all the sin, whatever, Lord God we can find rest for you as long as we just turn to you because you are the fulfillment of everything. And I pray, Lord God, for all of us that are listening, Lord, that anybody that's turned to you and put their faith in you and their trust in you, Jesus, would continue to do so, continue to just fall deeper in love with you and desire to love you and desire to follow you for your ways because of what you did, Lord God. And we'd never lose our way. We'd never lose our way and try to go back to works because even though we're born again, even though we may be saved, we're still sinners. And Christ, you are the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You are the fulfillment. You are because they could not save us, but you can. Hallelujah. And Lord, for those that are listening that are not yours, Lord Jesus, I pray, dear God, that they would turn away from whatever way they're in right now. And put their complete trust and faith in Christ and Christ alone to save them. And trust in you. And then live for you, not because they have to, but because they want to. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.